Peace Mission, a predominantly Black 20th century religious movement in the United States, was founded and led by Father Divine. He was regarded or worshipped by his followers as God, Dean of the Universe, Harnesser of Atomic Energy. He was immersed in primitive mysticism and the holiness and Pentecostal movements. The movement peaked during an era of KKK lynchings and Jim Crow segregation in the South. Yet Father Divine's numerous followers, both black and white, worshipped him as God. The Father Divine refused to acknowledge the notion of race, but historians have argued that his vocal opposition to segregation made him a link between Marcus Garvey and Martin Luther King Jr. Father Divine was equal parts holy man, charlatan, civil rights leader, and wildly successful restaurateur. I'm Alicia Galati. And I'm Jada Smith. And this is Two Sisters in a Cult. Boom. It's a podcast. For your earballs. For your earballs. <laughs> Sister cult survivors talking about cults. I was uh, I was on a call this morning with a, cl- with a potential client. She didn't end up signing with me because she doesn't need my services. Uh, she thought that I offered something that I don't. Um, yeah. She was looking for like marketing for her podcast. And I was like, "Mm, no, not really what I do. I can do it, but it's not what I offer. Um, and she is a medium and mystic and super woo. Uh, she said she saw her first ghost yesterday and I thought it was super interesting. I was like, wow. She's like at the beginning, she's like, so I don't know how woo you are. And I was like, Oh no, I'm, I can get woo. (laughs) We can go that route. That's fine. You want to talk about stuff? I get it. (laughs) Um, but I told her about our podcast and kind of how we format it and with sponsors and affiliates and all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, so my sister and I, we grew up in a cult and we just talk about cults and, and how they relate to the one we grew up in. And she was like, uh, what? <laughs> it's always so great getting people's reactions. Have you had any reactions? That's surprising. Like that? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I've had some some reactions. A lot of oh wow, really, and people want to know what you know what it was like. How cult are we talking? Right, exactly. On a <laughs> level of like, I don't know, George Gurdjieff to Jim Jones. <laughs> Right. To uh, reference the last two uh, episodes that we've done, the last two cults that we've covered, George Gurdjieff was definitely the mild version of a cult mm-hmm. leader. Nobody really died other than by natural causes. Then you've got the uh, Jim Jones, killer of men and women and children. Definitely mm-hmm. a downer. <laughs> yep. Um. I had someone reach out to us and tell us that uh, they listened to our podcast blackout and they cried. Oh, and I, I was them. like, that's awesome. <laughs> and uh, I mean, we had someone on our Instagram reach out and say, you know, that they love that we're women of color talking about true crime and cults and all that stuff. And yeah, that's us. That's who we are. Woo. 
Yeah. So how is New York? Anything changed in the last week <laughs> since we last talked? Um, we're in phase three. What? So high five. Holy cow. Yeah. That's I go back to work Wednesday. You I'm were excited. in phase two, like for like a week, it felt like. Yeah, it wasn't that long. No. Well, I mean. Maybe two weeks. I don't know. <laughs> Do you know how time goes during Corona? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's been 70 years. Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely feels like 70 years. It does. Uh, yep. Interesting. Are you excited to go back to work? Very, very. Nice. It'll be so nice to be, you know, out and about. Mm-hmm. Off of my booty. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, but no more sleeping in, right? Yeah. That part sucks. <laughs> yeah, I guess. My it's kids true. don't sleep in at all, so it hasn't really been that. Um, There haven't been any divine sleepings on my side. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. It's fine. Like, uh, we got Jude this... Um, what is it? Oh, it's an alarm clock. But it is one that lights up. So it's a dog. He's holding a ball. We have it on our um, savings page on our Amazon's favorite stuff. So if Mm -hmm. y'all have kids who get out of bed whenever they want, definitely get this. It was seriously life changing. So Jude would get up whenever he woke up. So it could be five o'clock. It could be six o'clock. It did not matter. He would get up out of bed. Hey, guys, it's morning. Let's go. So (laughs) what we were like, no, this needs to stop. So we got this alarm clock and it's a a dog and he's holding a ball and the ball lights up and the ball is red until 7 a.m. when the ball turns green. Jude is not allowed out of his bed until the ball turns green. So mm. it has been amazing. <laughs> it's working? Oh, yeah. We, and he's he's a he's a rule follower. So okay. typically, at least um, he's still a kid, but. He's mm-hmm. mostly a rule follower and he likes the, you know, he'll get mad. Like if I don't set the alarm, he's like, mom, you forgot to set the alarm. And I was like, oh, my bad. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> sorry. I didn't know what time it was. Like, it's not even, I don't know if it's seven o'clock yet. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah. We're still in phase two. I think for That's another three weeks. That's a really cute idea. The alarm clock. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is seriously amazing. Well, enough dilly dallying and chit chittery chattery. <laughs> I think that's a word. I don't even know. Well, Take a little talk a little. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> today we're talking about Father Divine. Uh, you guys might remember him. If you're not a rebel and just starting at this episode, you rebel you. I love calling you guys rebels. I know, I know. This is Alicia, by the way, who's talking. In case you guys don't know the difference of our voices yet. Um, we haven't had anyone say that we sound the same. So that's cool. <laughs> but I don't think we do. I don't think we do either. Like at all, especially looking since I edit our audio, looking at our voice wavelengths, I don't think that we (laughs) sound the same at all. But this is Alicia, and I'm going to be talking about Father Major Jealous Divine, or Father Divine for short. He was born George Baker around 1880 in the South, 
or maybe it was in Rockville, Maryland. Nobody really knows. <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> around 1880, and we don't know where he was born. There's a lot of like back and forth on where he was born and where he grew up. But either way, he began his career in 1899 as an assistant to Father Jehovia, the founder of an independent religious group. I couldn't find a lot of information about Father Jehovia, but he was working for him. And that's probably where he got a lot of his influence of like, hey, guys, guess what? I'm God. (laughs) So during his early adult years, Father Divine, and I'm just going to call him Father Divine from here on. I'm not even going to bother calling him George Baker because this motherfucker is Father Divine. (laughs) (laughs) He was influenced by Christian science and new thought. Now you might know Christian science. It is still around today, but it is the belief and practices of the Church of Christ scientists. And it was, it is a Christian sect Founded by Mary Baker Eddy, Eddie, Eddie, <laughs> Mary Baker <laughs> Eddie in 1879. Now, Christians like evangelistic, Episcopalian, those kinds of Christians, the Protestants, mm-hmm. they will say that uh, Christian science is a cult. So we call it a sect because it is an offshoot of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Look it up. <laughs> anyway. Members believe that only God and the mind have the ultimate reality and that sin and illness are illusions which can be overcome by prayer and faith. So this is the kind of people that you hear about where their kid has cancer and they refuse treatment Mm -hmm. because God heals. That those are the Christian scientists usually. Now there are other sects that do believe that, but Christian scientists are usually the biggest ones who you hear about in the news where they're like, no, we're not taking our kid to the doctor. Yes, his bone is sticking out, but no, we believe God will heal him. It's a whole thing. So in 1912, he left Father Jehovia and emerged several years later as the leader of what would become Peace Mission Movement. And the transition from George Baker, his given name, to Major Jealous Divine to Father Divine essentially was completed when he set up his first heaven, this is what he called him, his heaven, in Sayville, Long Island, New York in 1919. His following was growing, and in 1931, when his Sayville neighbors complained about the growing attendance at meetings at his house, (laughs) because Father Divine would have these elaborate decked out meetings, like really massive. Everybody gets together and we'll talk about his meetings a little later, but like feed everybody and have a lot of fun. But in 1931, things started to get a little bit iffy with his Saville neighbors. And they were complaining because there's all these black people congregating one. It's Rhode Island. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Long Island. (laughs) Not Rhode Island. It's Long Island. Long Island, New York. And imagine a white community, a white neighborhood. And this black guy shows up. He was like him and his wife were the first people to buy a black people to buy a house in that neighborhood. And so obviously big deal. And then all these black people start coming around. So then they start complaining to the cops, you know, happens today like this was a hundred years ago and it still happens today anyway Mm -hmm. side notes so 
when the meetings got to like over a thousand people, like at his house, <laughs> uh, Father Divine was arrested and incarcerated for 30 days. Oh, he'd had run ins with the cops before, but he'd never been arrested himself. And every time that the people that were at his house would get arrested, he would go and pay their bail in like hundred dollar bills. So oh. yeah. <laughs> so they'd be like, hey, do you have chase for a hundred? <laughs> like this is 1931. <laughs> right after like wait, are we is it during the Great Depression at this point? Definitely right around. And mm-hmm. like this dude, this black guy is coming in and paying people's bail, his community's bail with hundred dollar bills. And asking if they have change for the $100 bill. Like, uh, no, they probably don't. So this How is did he manage that? So he was, we'll talk about it. He, okay. As he started growing his community, uh, he never really owned anything in particular, but he, his community would just give and give and give and give money to him like crazy. Wow. Yes, we'll talk about it. So... Uh, he was sent, so he was arrested the first time and incarcerated for 30 days. And when the judge who sentenced him died two days after the sentencing, Father Divine attributed the event to supernatural intervention. And when journalists asked for his reaction, his brazen response made headlines and helped turn the cult leader into a media phenomenon when he said, I hated to do it. (laughs) (laughs) So his movement commemorated this event by annually publishing accounts of quote, divine retribution visited on all the wrongdoers of father divine. So good. Now, before we move on, I want you guys to remember, this is the guy that we talked about in the Jim Jones episodes. I believe it was part three of that one either part two or part three where we talked about how jim jones was influenced by father divine Uh, this guy loved to talk himself up he loved to just like yeah i'm god and yeah you gotta improvise and yeah these people gotta listen to me like he just did whatever he wanted and he was like the og jim jones and it didn't turn to murder and mayhem that's where that's where I'm coming from. I'm viewing it from that perspective of like Father Divine might have been like okay, but in the same sense, like he still pushed a psychopath, you know, in the right direction or right. wrong direction, depending on how you're looking at it. Right. So in nineteen thirty-three, Father Divine and his followers left Sayville for Harlem where he became one of the most flamboyant leaders of the Depression era. Now, there was where he opened the first of his heavens. It was a residential hotel where his teachings were practiced and where his followers could obtain food, shelter, job opportunities, as well as spiritual and physical healing. Now, a lot of cults do stuff like this, where they will create establishments where the people will live there, they will work there and the money goes back into the establishment. We saw that with the camp. We saw that with Jim Jones and his community. We saw that with, um, what's her name? Terry Hoffman. Mm -hmm. People are working for, and I mean, if you want to talk big corporation, it's the same as working for a grocery store, 
Right. Mm -hmm. They hand you a paycheck and you spend it on their food. Like, literally. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. So, a lot of cults do this. It's their way of uh, keeping money in-house and also uh, being able to just funnel money in really weird and extraordinary ways that can't always be tracked by the government. Anyway, that's a whole side tangent. But... (laughs) So the movement, whose membership numbered in the tens of thousands at its height during the Great Depression, was built on principles of Americanism, brotherhood, Christianity, democracy, and Judaism, with the understanding that all true religions teach the same basic truths, which I definitely believe. Um, Not that all true, that there really is any true religion, but I do believe that all of the major religions teach the same basic truths and all follow the same basic deity. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. Members are taught not to discriminate by race, religion, or color, and they live communally as brothers and sisters. Now, Father Divine's teachings were codified in 1936 in the Righteous Government Platform, which called for an end to segregation, lynching, and capital punishment. Movement members refrained from using tobacco, alcohol, narcotics, and vulgar language, and they were celibate. Which, if you know anything about a celibate cult, it doesn't last very long. <laughs> There's no kids to keep the torch going. Which is, we'll, we'll see that's exactly what happens here. Moreover, members attempted to embody virtue, honesty, and truth. And the movement's teachings also demanded a righteous wage in exchange for a full day's work. Members, ref- so they would like go out and expect to be paid, like, these people, whether they were white or African-American, but the followers of Father Divine were making bank. Like they were like, no, this is what I deserve to be paid. And this is what I'm going to be paid. And they weren't afraid to be like, oh no, it's the Lord's work. No, I'm getting paid. Like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm here for that. We could talk mm-hmm. about that. Um, they didn't accumulate, accumulate any debt. None of them had any credit or life insurance or anything like that. And, um, Yeah, so they were just really smart with their money and worked hard for their money. So for many peace mission believers, creating a new collective identity, uh, really giving yourself up and saying, I am not myself anymore, I am something new. It meant sacrificing their old lives. And Divine's followers took on new names that often contained biblical allusions like Simon Peter or expressed themes of nature and peace like Sunshine Satisfied or Venus Star. It sounds like a bunch of hippies. <laughs> Religious <Yeah>. hippies. <laughs> the staunchest devotees lived in the mo- movement-owned compounds called Heavens. Uh, they weren't allowed to smake, uh, bleh, smake, smoke or drink. <laughs> Nor the undue mixing of the sexes. So there would be a section for the men and a section for the women. That's crazy. I know. And part of me thinks like... Was there some homosexual things going on? Because they're adults. They have urges, you know? Mm-hmm. As much as people are like, oh, no, I am focusing on God. Like, you still have sexual urges as human beings. It's, like, part of nature. Anyway. So it makes me wonder if stuff like that happened. Uh, celibacy was required and marriage was discouraged, even though Father Divine was married twice <laughs> during this time. 
many members. Wait, what? Yeah, could get married. Oh yeah, and why? He, he's why? the one. Remember where he was married to a black woman, and then he said that she was reincarnated into a a supple white woman. Oh yeah, this is Father Divine. <laughs> So many members, most of whom were women, walked out on their families to follow Father Divine. They faced public scrutiny, and the husbands of these women would actually instigate a culture distance against Father Divine. So they would say that he was a religious fraud, he was breaking up their families, and this caused like a lot of drama. But there was nothing that they could do if these women were leaving of their own will. In addition to the criticism of members who abandoned their previous life to follow Father Divine, the mission granted no shortage of other scandals and allegations. Publications like the New York Times, which if the New York Times is talking about you, it's probably not good. <laughs> I feel like we talked about this before, guys. <laughs> and New York Evening Journal track Divine's near-ending drama, including an infighting and the including the infighting and the numerous lawsuits, arrests, and accusations circling the group. Now, during the Depression, residents of the of Heavens, because uh, uh, there's more than one, they had like established several, and we'll see later that he established even more. They paid a minimum fee of 15 cents for meals and a dollar per week for sleeping quarters, a practice that allowed them to maintain their sense of dignity. So these people are like lowest of the low it's the depression people are really struggling but they're like these heavens are able to stay open by charging that minimum fee now in the opinion of many father divine affirmed amid the poverty of the depression the abundance of god and the with free lavish banquets that he held daily now these weren't just like a soup meal like you had a lavish banquet that's amazing Right? Like, I dig it. <laughs> but it's just like, uh. so this, so during the Depression was when he had his largest numbers. And it's just like Jim Jones and how he started. Like, it's almost like a means to the end of mm. getting people in at their most vulnerable, getting people in when they are at, like, need it the most. And later, like Jim, uh, not Jim Jones, which Jim Jones got this from Father Divine, but Father Divine would play his sermons over loudspeakers, like continuously. So you're sitting there and you're eating and your subconscious is listening to this guy talk about how he's God constantly. I mean, eventually you're just going to believe it. So he was preaching total racial integration and that all things and persons are to be forsaken for the father and that heaven is on earth. So all these are like very Jim Jones types of phrases. Mm-hmm. Although, although he owned almost nothing directly, his 500 to 2 million followers. So like that was where they ranged when it was at its like medium to its highest was 500,000 to 2 million followers provided him with free access to a fortune worth at least 1.5 million dollars and this is the 1930s like i didn't even adjust that for inflation let me do that right now 23 million dollars in today's money wow yeah absolutely nuts 
Heavens were open across North America as well as in Europe, and although most of its adherents were African Americans, the movement also attracted white people, approximately one-fourth of its membership. The Heavens and related... I keep getting confused when I say the Heavens. I'm thinking, like, heaven. (laughs) No, this is, like, actually what he called his little places. The heavens and related businesses brought in millions of dollars in revenue for the peace mission. And of course, because it was a religious organization, it was tax free. Mm. We've talked about how we feel about churches being tax free. Mm -hmm. Peace missions banquets served as a riff on the like Christian communion, but the group also used food as a form of evangelism. Like I said before, they would take in those people who needed it the most and that the stomach is the route for salvation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love it. So during the Great Depression, World War I and World War II, Jim Crow segregation in the South and de facto segregation in the North, Peace Mission members ate for free and in abundance at these banquets. During all of this stuff, like the world, like America's at its worst, And these people are eating for free because they are sacrificing everything and just giving everything, you know, $23 million to this dude. I mean, I think if I was giving money like that and all of us were giving money like that, we'd all deserve some free food or free health care. I don't know. Mm -hmm. One would think. (laughs) One would think. Sorry, Mm. I've been on a free health care rant lately. My poor husband. Anyway. Peace mission followers argued that the bounty was not merely a gesture of divine generosity, but a tangible gift from the man that they called God. Now, rejecting mainstream Christian, heaven in the sky belief, the peace mission argued that heaven was accessible here on earth. Very Jim Jones. Like, Mm -hmm. it's funny because we say very Jim Jones because we talked about Jim Jones first, but Father Divine came first and Jim Jones leached off of all of his teachings. Anyway... So they used the banquets as evidence that the mission was bringing salvation and that salvation was for the here and now and not just something that you get after you die. And you think like the world is in turmoil, outside people are dying, millions of people are dying in World War One, World War Two. all these bad things are happening. But we're having these great banquets and everybody's just happy and we're enjoying it and people are loving and like these are really great people too because they're not like they are pushing themselves to be good and to like to be kind and to be all these things to be a better person but also like let's have what we want here on earth i don't know i'm not really mad about it Mm -hmm. so their success however also brought accusations of racketeering against father divine and like allegations of child abuse were also made against the movement they were proved to be unfounded but that does not ever look good So in 1942, Father Divine moved to suburban Philadelphia in part to avoid paying a financial judgment in a suit brought by a former member. Now, this member brought the suit saying, hey, look, I gave all this money. I just want it back. So he moved to Philadelphia so he didn't have to pay this one dude. (laughs) Moved the whole group to Philly so that he didn't have to pay. I mean, talk about cheap, dude. You could have just had this guy like done. But I think what he didn't want was this one member comes and gets paid and then everybody else wants to get paid. Mm-hmm. So that's what he did. Um, 
around that time was when his uh, wife died. Uh, he had mm. said that he would heal her. She was not going to die. It was going to be great. But then she died. And he married Edna Rose Richings, a Canadian member who, as Mother Divine, succeeded her husband as the movement's leader in 1965. And we'll talk more about that later. And you, if you listen to the Jim Jones episodes, you remember Jim Jones tried to come smooch up to this lady. And then <laughs> she took her tits out and I wasn't having it. <laughs> so... <laughs> Mother Divine was a mysterious figure. There's not really a lot known about her early life. She was born Edna Rose Richings on April 4th, 1925 in Vancouver, where her husband, Charles, ran the Strathcona Floral Company, a nursery and flower shop. I mean, that sounds amazing. I would love to grow up in that area. (laughs) At 15, she became fascinated by Father Divine and his religion, which already that sounds creepy. Yep, I'm creeped out. 15. She became fascinated by Father Divine and his religion. I, okay. <laughs> Let's talk about this real quick. Yeah. So Father Divine was born in 1880-ish. It was either 79 or 80. She was born in 1925. Let's just leave that to simmer for a second. And then when she was 15, (laughs) she became fascinated with Father Divine and his religion. (sighs) Which preached a gospel of self-help, abstinence, economic independence, and social equality. Edna left home for Montreal, where she moved in with a family of Father Divine's disciples and took the name Sweet Angel and found work as a stenographer at a costume jewelry business. Uh, she then made her way to Philadelphia to meet Father Divine and was hired as his personal stenographer. That's just someone who takes notes, right? Yeah, I think so. Marriage quickly followed. <laughs> I can't. That's a really messed up power dynamic. Father Divine and Sweet Angel Divine? hmm Yeah. Like, she's been infatuated with this dude. He's old enough to be her dad. I don't like it. (laughs) I don't like any of it. It's bad. So unknown to those who assembled for the marriage, they had actually already been married. (laughs) They were married about four or five months before their proclaimed marriage. And nobody was allowed to know. Only... Members of Father Divine's inner circle knew. And they said that if they told people, they didn't know what would happen. The marriage was such a world-shaking event. It might have made followers vibrate strongly enough to destroy themselves. Which, uh, what? (laughs) Right. That's how they described it. Like, people were going to kill themselves over it? I don't understand that. But then you got to think, okay, this is... Probably before, well, we just, t- uh, Loving Day just happened, right? Where it was the first black man and white woman, no, white man, black woman, to get married. And they were told they weren't allowed to get married. They took it to the Supreme Court. It was a whole Virginia thing. That just happened that day. Um, we celebrated it, right? Um. Yes, I remember what you're talking about. I forgot their names already. 
I know Loving is their last name. That's why they call it Loving Day. Yeah. But that happened, what, 1945, 47, something like that? So this is probably around that time. So if a white man or a white woman did get married to a black man, it might have been weird already, uh, which is maybe why everybody would have freaked out. And, but I mean, also the fact that he said that Mother Divine was going to not die. So the much-loved Sister Penny, who was the OG Mother Divine, was Black, for one thing. And her death had never really been announced. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so disrespectful. Uh, It is, but I'm actually not really surprised. It's like, how can we hide this for as long as possible and then create something new to distract everybody? (sighs) The new Mother Divine was white, and although the Peace Mission regarded the idea of race as sinful, nearly three-quarters of the membership was black, and the sudden appearance of a white replacement came as a shock to the Peace Mission and to the black news media. For followers, confusion by the merging of Sweet Angel's identity with that of his first wife, Father Divine offered clarification. The individual is the personification of that which expresses personification he said therefore he comes to be personally and personally the expression of that which is impersonal and he is the person personal expression of it and the personification of the pre-sonification wait i can't what the fuck (laughs) sorry i tried oh god and he is the personal expression of it and the personification of the pre-personification of god almighty peace it's wonderful (laughs) he was so full of shit oh my god he was a bullshitter the movement's membership started to decline dramatically However, not least because of the movement's strict dedication to celibacy, which we talked about earlier. Once dismissed as another cult leader, Father Divine was recognized in the late late 20th century as an important social reformer. In the 1930s, he was a champion of race equality and an advocate of the economic self-sufficiency for African Americans that found broad acceptance only with the civil rights movement. Now, going into the 1950s, the press rarely covered Father Divine, and when it did, it was no longer as a menace, but more as an amusing relic. For example, lighthearted stories ran when Father Divine announced Philadelphia as the capital of the world. (laughs) (laughs) And when he claimed to inspire the invention of the hydrogen bomb. Oh, yeah, no, I inspired that. (laughs) For sure, buddy. Uh, Father Divine's predominantly lower class following ebbed as the economy grew. So people didn't really need him anymore. In 1953, follower John DeVoe gave Father Divine Woodmont, a 72-acre hilltop estate in Gladwine. That's probably how you pronounce it. I don't know. We're going to go with it. Gladwine, (laughs) Pennsylvania, outside of Philly. This French Gothic manor served as his home and primary site of his increasingly infrequent banquets until his death in 1965. As his health declined, he continued to petition for civil rights. In 1951, 
He advocated reparations to be paid to the descendants of slaves. He also argued in favor of integrated neighborhoods. However, he did not participate in the burgeoning American civil rights movement because of his poor health and especially his dislike of the use of racial labels, denying that he was black. Which I feel like there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, I don't know enough to like comment on how he thought or felt, but there's a few different ways that this could, I don't know, could be looked at, I guess. Um, Because of the hatred and torment that would be associated with growing up in that time and all of the I don't know upheaval and violence like it's not you know yeah segregation and whatnot um maybe he hated himself Mm. but in the light of his teaching about no no such thing as race like that could be I mean connected to not loving the race of himself but right. it could also be like uh you know that Christian there is no race or gender in heaven kind of situation I mean if there's no race or gender then why are we fighting about it <laughs> Right. Why are the Christians saying all lives matter? Anyway. Uh, Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I agree. I think that it could be that he was just like not loving himself and how he, who he was and and just saying, well, I need to be this other person. So I'm just going to be who I want to be and not focus on racial construct. Um, but I mean, that's, that's not even a bad way to be like black is a part of your whole personhood. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it's wonderful. The work that is, you know, hopefully being done now, mm-hmm. but some stink has been made about it. Yeah. But like, there's so many other parts of being a person. Why do we have to, like why when will we get past that being the thing that we look at is mm. what i maybe he felt that way maybe yeah i don't know so on september 10th 1965 father divine died of natural causes at his woodmont estate his widow and remaining followers insist his spirit is still alive and always refer to father divine in the present tense Believers keep the furnishings of Father Divine's personal rooms at Woodmont just as they were as a shrine to his life. Following his death, Edna Rose Ridgings, his wife, continued his legacy of promoting racial equality, self-sufficiency, and adherence to a chaste moral lifestyle. And I'm pretty sure she died in, like, the 2000s, something like that. But yeah, it's pretty much just fallen off. There's that's it there is no peace missions anymore Mm. it's done but yeah what'd you think i think he was very full of shit Um, (laughs) he was a charlatan (laughs) faux show i mean i love the 
things that he did for his community. Mm -hmm. I fucking love it. It's great that he was able to bring all of the people together that he did. That would be the good outcome of it. Mm -hmm. But he himself was full of shit. I mean, when you (laughs) essentially, when you get a cult together, it's the people who are the cult. The leader is just the weirdo that's associated with the, you know, whatever comes out of the cult, whatever happens at the end of it or whatever goes on inside of it. But the people are the cult. Yeah. They're the ones that make or break it. No, definitely. And I think these people did great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, what they were doing was fantastic. He was absolutely full of shit. It was not, like, it's like Jim Jones, All a lot of the teachings weren't terrible, like, when he would preach, you know, heaven on earth, and there's no God in the sky, make most of what you have, don't live with debt. Like, these teachings, like, be a decent human being. These things are all great, mm-hmm. but... Like, at what point are you allowing someone else to control your life to the point where you have to be celibate, where you're not allowed to enjoy a cigarette, not allowed to drink, you're not allowed to talk to your family? Like, that's where I feel it gets to the point where it's like, no, that shit's a cult. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, show. Sure. But. Uh, anyways. Yeah. I don't know. I'm though. You know, not, not too heavy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was the pedophilia, which gross actually i forgot about that yeah um, <laughs> with the young wife not cool not i mean cool. i don't know she was super consenting so i don't know how i feel about it yeah and 15 was probably the legal age in 1940s yeah maybe <sighs> i don't know actually. she probably was a little older at that point that was just when she became infatuated with him all right. When did they get married between when um, she left home? So I want to say it was so 1942 plus four years minus 1925. She was 21 when they got married. Okay. Never mind then. That's all right. Glad we cleared that up. I guess. I still don't like it's, it. It's a consenting adult in all you can't. She's, I know. she's dumb enough to have done it. It's on her. It's on her. She was dumb enough. (laughs) Yeah, she was an adult. And 21, too. Not just like 18 or 17. Right. Not 19. Yeah. Not 15. Thank God. Jeez, seriously. But imagine being infatuated with someone and then you go and meet him and he's like, "Uh, hell yeah, you supple white bitch. (laughs) What the fuck? Like... (sighs) Uh, I don't like it. <laughs> Still yeah. don't like it, guys. <laughs> and wait, wait. They got married in April. They told everybody in August. When yes. did his wife die? Because did he kill her to marry? Oh, no, day? she died of cancer. Okay. Yeah. Her death was definitely ruled as cancer. Three years after his wife died. Okay. Wow, that's weird. And he never announced that she died? Nope. Her spirit was still there. Didn't matter. Remember what he said about the personification of the personification? Jada? (laughs) Don't you know? (laughs) What is wrong with him? Pretty much he was just a bullshitter. That's it. He just bullshitted. And everybody 
Everybody was digging it. They were just like, yeah, that makes sense. Keep feeding me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You're kind of feeding yourself. I mean, yeah. But... <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so let us know what you guys think about this one. How do you feel about a 15-year-old becoming infatuated with a, a grown-ass man who could be her dad and then marrying him six years later? How do you feel? <laughs> Tell me, because Alicia's upset. <laughs> so is Jada. Oh, it's absurd. It. So, were you in a cult? Do you have a favorite cult? Is there a cult that you want us to cover? Do you want to just tell us a funny story or crazy experience that you had? Send us your stories at two sisters cult at gmail.com. We have our Patreon. Woohoo! So our weekly podcast will always be free, but if you want to donate to our Patreon, it helps to support the show and allows us to create more amazing content for you. You can go to two sisters cult.com, click on Patreon at the top of the menu. You can get some exclusive perks, like a shout-out on the show, access to our top-secret Facebook community, and if you join at the $10 level, you'll get a Two Sisters and a Cult sticker, an exclusive monthly bonus, full-length episodes that will not be available on the podcast. We have some pretty sweet merch available in our shop. You can pick from decal stickers, t-shirts, and other fun stuff. Click shop on the menu at twosisterscult.com. The best way for you to help us out on the show, uh, besides joining our Patreon, is to like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also be sure to tell a friend that you think would like us. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Two Sisters Cult. Come hang out with us. Catch you on the flip side. And don't join that cult. Yeah, no, I don't like it. Didn't like this one very much at all. No, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't that great either. Didn't sound fun. No. <laughs>